Bookman. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. And the Bearcats are 4-1 and one as we enter week 6 of the regular season. Up next, the Houston Cougars. That game will be at 3.30 on Saturday. And you should join us at 3.30 on Saturday at Taft's Brewporium. We will be there. Dave, we got a special guest. Did you know we had a special guest this week at the at the watch party? I don't. Who who is our special guest? It's not me because I'm not going to be there. The UC ticket office will be there. Oh, fantastic! With tickets to give away to the Tulane game. Oh, Tulsa, Tulsa, same thing. Nice. I had done pretty good on, on getting It's Tulsa not even basketball right. season yet. How are you screwing that up already? That's the first time I've screwed it up in a while, and I think it was because I, it got in my head that I had been getting it right for a long time. Um, <laughs> but the ticket office will be there. They'll have tickets to give away for Tulsa. I've heard maybe they'll have some gear for uh, for to, to, to give away for fans in attendance. Uh, the, the Bearcats are playing a bad defense. And Tafts will be lowering the price of pints to half price every time Cincinnati scores a touchdown from the time they score the touchdown until the Cincinnati offense gets the ball back. Pints are half price. And uh, I think this game is going to be a pretty good chance to get quite a few pints in for half price if you're uh, if that's your thing. Pizza, wings. All that good stuff. It's going to be a great time. Like I said, the UC ticket office will be there. Uh, I believe the UC Young Alumni Association will also uh, be having some people there. So it's going to be a packed house. Get there early. Kickoff at 3.30. The perfect kickoff time for a watch party, I think. I agree. And, and but big thanks to Taft for yes. hooking up the, uh, the BCJ Twitter Dave Simone, family tailgate with some gavel banger. That was awesome. How many did you get through? Always. We got through enough. <laughs> yes, we got through enough. A few left for for Tulsa, but uh, yeah. All right. Had well, had, we... a, had, had more ahead. than a couple. We'll just say that. Well, make sure you are there with us, everybody but Dave. Dave is not invited. He is not allowed to come to watch parties because he's bad luck. Uh, but make sure you join us 3.30 Saturday, Taft's Brewporium. I will be there. The UC ticket office will be there. There will be giveaways, including tickets to the Tulsa game uh, on the 19th. So mark that down on your calendars. Put it in your phones. Set your calendars. Set your alarms. Whatever you got to do, be sure to join us at Taft's. I believe the Republic of Cincinnati guys are going to be there. Uh, the guys from the Den tailgate could be joining us. So this is going to be... The place to be if you're looking to watch the Bearcats take on Houston Saturday at 3.30, Taft's Brewporium. How was the gavel banger? That's your that's your favorite. That's your go-to uh, from Taft's if it's not it the summer. If it's the summer, you're a Nelly's guy, right? Yes, I do. I like Nelly's. One of my, uh, one of my go-tos when I'm uh, in the pool. But uh, yeah, gavel banger, probably my my favorite uh, of the of the year round. I mean, I guess you could drink Nellie's year round, but I like it more in the summer. 
But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's delicious, and it uh, it was a great uh, beer to drink before we uh, took out the Central Florida Golden Knights. All right, let's get right to it, Dave. Twenty-seven, twenty-four, an absolutely electric environment at Nippert Stadium, as good as I can ever remember. Uh, we, somebody asked me this on Twitter and we were even, uh, bantering about at the, uh, at Luke Fickle's weekly press conference today. I don't know that I, I'd have to go back to West Virginia, 2009, um, which was the final big East game of that season at Nippert stadium. Remember they, they played Illinois on Thanksgiving, um, right. and then closed out the season, obviously at Pitt with the historic Pike to Ben's game. But I had to go all the way back to 2009, that West Virginia game. The Mountaineers were ranked in the top 25. Uh, They were looking to hand Cincinnati their first Big East loss, their first loss that year. That game was electric. And, man, Friday night, that that place was just on fire from the start. And the team backed it up. There were some ups and downs. It was a little bumpy at times. It felt like at points in the first half, that Central Florida was just waiting to explode. But I was I was talking to our guy, Brandon Sosna right around halftime, and he said, you know, if, if this was reversed, if the way this was going was reversed, we would be talking about how many opportunities were left on the field and that you let a team hang around when, when you probably should have had a, a, a decent lead. And it's exactly what transpired. Cincinnati caught fire, especially defensively in the third quarter. Central Florida could not move the ball. James Smith was masterful in winning field position. And my man Sauce changed the game as he got the pick six. That's a, that. That's actually uh, Sosna. The first time he ever saw the, 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 the Ahmad Gardner at camp was like, who the hell is that guy? And he looks the part. When you think of like what a what a, a high end cornerback looks like, long, rangy, fast, uh, you think of Ahmad Gardner, and, and he showed why the coaching staff was so high on him as he jumped around at the sixteen yard line, tipped it up in the air, took it in for six, and completely changed the momentum of the game. And then, did you hear the anecdote from um, Luke Fickle today? About the, so. the Mike Warren run. Oh, yes. Yeah. So he was, well, he's not the only one. I was saying, I was the, saying same the same thing. thing. Just, end just the quarter. Go, and, end, of, yeah. end of the quarter, you know, let it go. And, you know, well, glad they didn't, glad they didn't listen. And next thing you know, Mike Warren rumbles 60 yards. One of the, one of the most hilarious plays of the year is he hits the brakes 50 yards downfield to allow two UCF defenders to smash into one another. Uh, and pick up another 10 yards. And uh, and in the next play at the start of the fourth quarter, Des Ritter to Alec Pierce for uh, for a touchdown to put the Bearcats up 11. And they were able to hold on. And it was just a phenomenal night in Nippert Stadium, Dave. It was. And it's funny, a couple of things you mentioned. Like, I had some people asking me the same thing. Like, how was the atmosphere? And, and like, I don't, you know, all I could say was it had to 
be comparable to a game in 2009. Like, none were really jumping out to me. And I think this one will kind of, like, stick with me for, you know, as far as, like, you know, the whole the whole crowd, not just the student section, but the whole crowd. I thought when when they did shout between the third and fourth quarter that that was, like, by far the loudest and most Yeah, because you had just had the Mike Warren run – one right version like, of that 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 we had ever heard because usually it's like the, all the student section and like some of the stadium is doing it, but it felt like everybody was was super jazzed. And it's funny you mentioned the part about like, and maybe this is just the way that I was watching the game, but I never really felt like I don't know. I never really felt like even when UC was losing that they were really like out of the game or playing that bad or, or that like central Florida had control of it. And I don't know if it was just because. Watching because of how awesome offense, they were in the red zone. Defensively. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it was just like, I felt like kind of watching their offense. I'm starting to get a sense of, and you know, it's a small sample size, seven games, but they are four and three in their last seven games. And the three losses are the teams that have, that you could say would have pretty much equal to or better talent than them. LSU in the bowl game last year, Pitt and UC. Now granted, none of those were at home. So, you know, a little bit goes there, but. Well, but to I be a great team, like, you got to win on the road. Right. And I just felt like. That they, they, with what Heupel is doing, his offense, I think, is definitely different this year than last year. I feel like last year, and Mackenzie Milton has a lot to do with that. I mean, he is a very, very, very good college quarterback. Um, but it seemed like they were more, I guess I would say, like multidimensional last year. I mean, I know they run the ball and throw the ball well this year and have the second had the second best total offense in the country coming into the game. But I just never got the sense that their defense was that hard to actually defend if if you had the, the proper pieces. And I think we now have the proper pieces and had the proper game plan because it was it was kind of basic. I mean well, yeah, they that's... would run the they would run these pass plays where the receivers are almost out of bounds. And I'm going, they're not going to throw from one hash all the way over to the other side. Like that, you're almost like taking that out of play. And Dylan Gabriel, I felt like stared down his receivers a ton. I felt like he was a one read guy and he never really got to his second or third read. Cause I felt like, that if he if he saw the there ball at that pressure. point he was under pressure, and so when you when they got down into the red zone and they're still running these plays or these formations and you're going well you can only run so many routes when you're on the nine yard line, and if you're going to stick a guy, you know thirty yards away from the ball then you're automatically deducting another group of routes and. So it's like, okay, well, here. And Ahmad Gardner had the perfect play because it's like, I've seen these guys do this so many times. He throws the ball to Gabe. He threw the ball to Gabe Davis over 50% of his attempts, 
were to one guy. So, you know, at some point you do take that chance because you're like, they've been running hitches the whole game. They're not, they didn't run anything across the middle. They hardly ran any slant. I just thought it was very, very basic. And most of the time, that's fine because they have the better talent and they spread you out and they run fast and they find the mismatches and it's, and it's 21 and, you, and then they score and then they get a three and out and then they score again. And it's 14, nothing before you even know what the heck's going on. But against teams that can match up with them, I don't think they can do that. And the defensive game plan was outstanding. And we'll get into more of that and individual players and whatnot, but, just like from a in taking in the game as a whole, and especially watching it back, I watched it back uh, at least the second half Sunday morning, and it was just kind of like this is it. And I don't want I sound I don't want to sound foolish saying that when they've been as successful as they've been, but you know I don't, I wonder how much of that is that they're uh, the players that they brought in under Scott Frost outside of the quarterback, the vast, vast majority of their impact players are juniors and seniors. And so with his offense and now we still don't know what's going to happen with McKenzie Milton. I mean, everything says he's going to play next year. That's a, that still seems like a, a leap of faith. Um, and Dylan Gabriel seems like he can be a good quarterback, but I'm just, I'm not sure. Like I'm, I'm... Well, a couple things. One, I think Nippert rattled them. Oh, that's, that's 100% that happened. Two. I think it, it, I think it rattled Josh Heupel. I yeah. think he abandoned the run way too soon and was like, we're down, we need to throw, where you were only down 20 to, 30, like 20 to 16. They weren't moving the ball at all, though, at that point. They have what? No, in the third quarter. And that's that's the other thing. That's the other thing. So UC comes out in a defense that they weren't prepared for, and you saw it for the whole first half. You go into the locker room, and you have a worse third quarter than you than you had the whole the first half. Yeah, I mean they had answers for it in the first half. They moved the ball pretty easily until they got inside the red zone. Um, The other thing I would say, yeah, I agree. The other thing I would say. The MVP of the entire day was Marcus Freeman. Oh, yeah, hands down. I mean. That's not even really up for debate, I don't think. What he did switching to the 3-3-5 first off was brilliant. Um, Getting those guys to buy into that. And think about the risk of that. Because it took, you could argue, their two best defensive linemen all year have been both Michael Pitts and Ethan Tuckey. Right. And for the majority of the game, the game plan took those two guys off the field and they played with two defensive tackles and a strong side end. Well, if they're going to go fast and play and play so wide, it's pointless to have an extra defensive lineman on the field. Yeah. And then the other like thing I thought, go, go ahead. No, I'm just gonna say if they're gonna, you know, if they're gonna put Gabe Davis out beyond the numbers and throw to him most of the time, and then run up to the line, like, and they're gonna do it, you know, on three-step drops. It wasn't like they were doing a lot of play action and stuff like that. 
there's no point in having that fourth defensive lineman on the field. And I think that was the genius move. I mean, it's like a wasted body that other teams just have out there because that's what you're supposed to have out there. And then the other thing I thought that was brilliant was the amount and the, and the fashion in which they rotated through those five corners. Guy runs a go route on the UC sideline. Guess what? Corner comes out, new guy comes in. They didn't allow UCF to wear them down physically uh, in any way, shape, or form defensively because that's what they do even in the, you know, even over the years in the games they've struggled, not struggled, but in the games their offense hasn't been crisp, they've still been able to hit you with that flurry. I mean, they even did it against Pitt, and then Pitt managed to answer back to get the field goal at the buzzer for the win. But they hit you with that flurry, and and you don't have an answer for it. Well, they just never got a chance to hit that flurry because they never wore down that Cincinnati defense. And No, and that's oh, A lot of credit to the players and a huge amount of credit to Marcus Freeman because that was game planning 101. A textbook, exactly how you do it. And this is two years in a row, Dave. Their first year here, Navy embarrassed them. They went back to the drawing board. Last year they came out in the 4-4, and they got they, they, they made Navy look bad. Last year, hell, two years ago, UCF embarrassed them so bad they called the game after three quarters. And then last year, they embarrassed them again on national TV with college game day there. And Marcus Freeman said, all right, we got to do something different. Went to the drawing board, drew up a masterpiece, Kudos to him. Kudos to his team for executing it. Derek Forrest was phenomenal. 16 tackles. I saw Derek today. I said, sore, buddy? He said, man, I I can't move. I've been in bed for two days. And I said, <laughs> uh, I said well, I mean, that's Wig got hurt. Now you got to make his tackles and your tackles. He said, man, my body just hurts. And he walked. He just kind of shook his head and walked away. Uh, but a hell of a game from him, hell of a game from Jarrell White. Those defensive linemen were phenomenal. Brian Wright and Perry Young were excellent. Um, I thought Beavers had a good game. And then that rotation of eight guys in the secondary, five corners and three safeties. The number of plays UC made knocking away deep balls was amazing. Well, I was just about to get to that because – as much as, you know, as well as I felt UC played, I do still think, and as much as I like to bag on Central Florida because just fans are just so annoying, <clears throat> I still do think they deserve some, some, some props in the sense of they came into Nippert with a true freshman quarterback, Nowhere near the atmosphere they saw at Pitt. I mean, let's be real. It was totally different. Right. Terrible in the red zone. You know, interception for a touchdown. UC, I think, was like 100% on those 50-50 balls you're talking about. Like, I mean, it seemed like every time they tried to take their shot, it was either an overthrow or broken up. Like, and that's what they live on. Like, they're, they live on – the quick score, the under one minute touchdown, the we scored, we get a stop, and now we're going to go right over your head again. 
you know, 40 play or 40 yard, 50 yard play, whatever it is. And I felt like every single time, I mean, Justin Harris had a breakup. Gardner had the interception. Kobe had several. Gar- and Jeffrey had, had the interception. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so it's like all of those things happened and they still only lost by three. So it's like, I'm obviously thrilled, but like that kind of shows you how good they even can be when they're not playing very, very well. Just because it's, and their defense is much better than I thought it was going to be. I thought it would take a drop off this year. I think it's better than, than I expected. And, you know, but, oh, well, we won. So, you know, I don't, I don't, I heard, I've heard just so many ridiculous excuses listening to, podcasts and things and reading articles and 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 whatnot but uh, you know they want to fire josh heupel which <laughs> i'll talk quietly they probably should because they're not going to get better than this so um so like, they fire yeah, they're, not gonna fire. they're not gonna fire me 16 and 3 but we'll see in a couple of years i'll just say that okay <laughs> i mean that's okay um uh, you you said you you had some comments on the uh, the the podcasting that you'd been listening to today. I'd like oh, to my, hear those. Yeah, let's see. Um, if we'd have played, we were we're better than Pitt. We're better than Cincinnati. If we played them not ten times, we'd win nine. That was a good one. Um, Dylan Gabriel will is definitely a Heisman candidate in a year or two. Uh, that wasn't that was a good one. Um, oh, it was the, the second best atmosphere in the AAC. Yep. I guess I'm assuming to the bounce house, yeah. To their pile of aluminum. I will always laugh when I think of Stephen Godfrey saying anybody can drop a pile of aluminum in a swamp and call it a home field advantage. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> To me, that was the funny one. That, that, let's get to some of the extracurriculars before we move on. One. Oh yeah, I mean, out. let's just say, I mean, for for one week in October, two thousand nineteen, the University of Cincinnati absolutely dominated the college football social media landscape. Yes. First, well, we, had, we, we talked about it last week with about, the fake field. Yeah. Or the the one they dropped after the game. The one they dropped after the game was an all timer. Last I looked, that thing was nearing four million views. I still kind of wish the castle like exploded, or the bearcat like came in and like stepped on it, or something. Explain for those that aren't aware. So, after the game, the you know the traditional. Tweets from you know your your football Twitter account that tells you well, what was the final score and it said you know Bearcats twenty seven Cincinnati twenty seven Central Florida which is always great because they or cry about that for some reason twenty four and then there was a little thirty second video and you click on the video and it starts the when you wish upon a star and there's the magic castle from Disneyland. Or Disney World, I don't even know which one's in Florida. Um, in Florida. And, you know, and it's pa- it's panning back, and there's Lake Buena Vista in front of it. And towards the very end, 
in the, you know, fancy Disney font that everybody knows very well. It just says, you hate to see it. And you, and you, you it, hate to see it. It was just, it was perfect. I mean, it was just, it was, it was subtle, yet it was just, you know, the biggest shade you could throw. I mean, it, it really was just perfectly, perfectly executed. I mean, just, you know, I've already mentioned it once. Stephen Godfrey tweet, retweeted it with, like, something to the effect of, I'm crying a little. Uh, one person, one guy that covers college football retweeted and said, watch till the end if you want to see a dead body. <laughs> like, I mean, the entire college football landscape outside of Orlando, Florida, was just, just loving it because they're as tired of those people as we are. And it's just, it's just nice now to, now I have some ammo. Now, <laughs> now we don't, you know, it's, it's hard to really say much when they've whacked you two years in a row and, you know, have been the conference champions and have been to the big bowl games. And, and now, you know, we can look at the last 19 games, which is a weird number to pick, but that's the number that I'm picking, <laughs> and and see that we are both 16-3, and three, and we have both beat each other once. So I feel like for the time being, we might have the start of a, a little bit of a rivalry, and I'm all for that. It is interesting to see how bad the the national landscape hates UCF. They're just they're just it's their fans. So they're insufferable, man. Like I was listening to a totally different podcast, national wise, and they were talking about how UCF fans, sorry, Central Florida fans, were tweeting like the Disney Company saying, yeah, they did. "You got to get this taken like get over yourself, like." How self-absorbed can you be that you can't for one second just go, you know what, that's pretty funny. Like, they're just, like, they came in and they wanted everyone to root for them, and everybody did because they were that punchy little G5 school that is beating Auburn and is challenging the big guys. And, and now they're the punchy little G5 school that everybody hates because they never shut up. And, you know, oh, here's another one. In a podcast I was listening to, just rolled off the guy's tongue when he was talking about the 2017 national champion. Yeah. Like, like, it is ingrained into their head so much that, that, that they won this fake national championship that they just say it like it's, like, me saying the 2009. Like they won the playoff. Big, right, like, the, like me saying the 2009 Big East champion Cincinnati Bearcats. Like, I say that so easily because it actually freaking happened. <laughs> well, I don't think they, we're going to hear they, much from them the rest of the year. No, because guess what? They're going to lose again. You think? Well, they are at Tulsa, at Temple, and at Tulane. It's possible. So, I think they're going to lose one of those. And the blueprint is out there. We have to have Pressure the dudes. Dylan That's Gabriel. the thing, though. That's, you got to have the dudes, though. Yeah, you do. 
Temple has the dudes to to get pressure. Yeah, but I don't know if Temple has enough dudes on offense to score with them. Right. But I will. I I'll, I'll just give before we move on. I'll give a little credit to me because there was no one else that was predicting the streak in the 30s would end, but this guy no. right here. And I, I'm not going to lie, when I found out Chris Ferguson wasn't playing and <laughs> that Jeremy Cooper was out for the year, I I, I started to doubt a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, you and we, we can be fully transparent. You and I have been pretty spot on with how we felt making our podcast predictions and then how we felt day of game. Like, we made day of game, neither for, of us felt great. No, did not. And that's the first time that we haven't been proven right. I mean, I've I've felt basically what's happened this whole season, actual day of game. And I'm glad that we were wrong uh, on Saturday. Hey, one, and I, and I, and I, this is the part I think I nailed. It wasn't about time of possession. That was a key. It was about field position. And Cincinnati flat out dominated field position that entire game. They back Central yeah, Florida I mean, up. Uh, James Smith with five punts inside the 20. Three of those inside the 10, another one right at the 10. They were forcing Central Florida to drive 85, 90, 90 plus yards every time that they got the football. And they could just never, they never found a rhythm. They were never able to get going. And they did a great job keeping guys in front. They did not let plays get get over the top. I know there were people at times that were getting a little frustrated with the corners because the corners were given some cushion. That was by design. And the design yeah, worked perfectly. They, and Cincinnati, even though, the offense, even though the offense, uh, one more thing, even though the offense wasn't yep. dynamic for Cincinnati, they did just enough where they continued to win field position and James Smith was able to be an All-American punter and absolutely destroy any chances that UCF had of finding momentum. He was just as important as anybody else that was on the field on Friday night. Right, because they're now 100th in red zone offense. So yards between the 20s didn't really matter because UC figured as long as we keep them from hitting those big play touchdowns that they hit on everybody. We're going to take our chances that once they get down inside the 20, that they are not going to be able to convert. And that's exactly what happened. They didn't allow outside of the one play at the end to Trey Nixon, which is the perfect example of how they play and jump on you. UC was not in prevent. I know people, some people probably thought that they were not. They had them spread. They ran a slant. He made one guy miss, and, and there was the nobody house. else over there. Yep. And that's what the, that's what they do. You run a five five yard or ten yard pass pattern. You're, everybody is so spread out. You make one guy miss. There's nobody else over there to, to tackle you. And that's the only time that that happened 
all game. And if you, if you make them earn it, if you just make them have sustained drives where you don't give up a, a big play that either scores or allows them to run, go fast, and you're out of position, you can do that to them. But you have to have the dudes to do it. Six trips to the red zone, one touchdown. Yes, Four interceptions one touchdown. and a touchdown when they got to the red zone. Three field goals, two interceptions. It was a Before hell of a we move on state. to Houston, I do want to mention, I don't know if you said his name, I could not be more impressed with Elijah Ponder. I, I, that was my like, first question today of Luke at the press conference. Like, we can, we can stop talking about replacing Cortez and Cope. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying this to discredit anything that they've done or but, they but, did. But they're replaced. Yeah, like, they're replaced. I, Marcus Brown trust, had a hell of a game. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm just but like Elijah Ponder is stacking impact game on top of impact game, and yep. I fully trust the defensive line. And you know, I, it's not that I didn't trust, but like you want to see it against. We saw what happened against Ohio State, and UCF is the first offense that is pseudo Ohio State. Certainly, the closest thing they're going to see to that all year. Yeah, and. So now I'm like, okay, I saw it, so now I'm going to expect it because that dude has came to play all year, has dominated the middle, has offered has offered pass rush, you know, been good against the run, and, I, you know, major, major the, props to him. How about the Can't chase down tackle he had from the backside? Oh, I mean, he's, he's been everything you possibly could have Hope for in in Probably a first a year starter. Oh, for sure. Jabari Taylor's been good. Curtis Brooks has been solid. Like I said, I thought Marcus Brown had a fantastic game. That that the, the that four man rotation at at tackle has been superb, and they've needed to be. Um, and, and you've gotten great play from the ends, the the duo of of Van and Sanders. Uh, on the uh, on the strong side, and then Pitts and Tucky at the jack position. Across the board, that defensive line has been a strength. And yeah. there were questions. Lots and lots and lots of questions about this season hinged on their play. I think those questions have been answered. Now we get into Houston as the Bearcats travel down to Texas. Um, Dave... How giddy would you have been if I told you this season they were going to be 4-1 going into Houston with no Derek King? I mean, how giddy am I right now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was there the talk was real. This is a, a tougher schedule. This is a team that might be better than the team last year that might not see the success that the team last year has had. And you know what I found myself doing yesterday, Dave? I found myself thinking I might have to figure out a way to get to Memphis for the day after Thanksgiving. You might. I mean, I also want to, as we get into Houston, kind of want to give me and you some 
some love because we, after watching this team, said they can be as good as they were last year, and, even and with record. a, even with the, you know, before the season perceived temper schedule, and because you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, no one could have possibly imagined that this is what was going to happen at Houston. Right. Um, but that's why, you know, that's why we felt that way was just because, yeah, so what? So what, so what if they maybe have a, a harder schedule? I think we think they're going to be a better team. And, and I think this game with Houston – I don't know. Their defense is so bad and and so injured. And, you know, they're coming off by freshman quarterback who, coincidentally, I think is much closer to Eric King as a runner than he is a thrower. Like, King was a good thrower. Obviously, his dynamic abilities were in the running game, but you couldn't just make him pass. I mean, he would definitely beat you with the pass. Clayton Toon went 16 for 20 against North Texas, but I think for like 124 yards. Um, So they're definitely a running team right now. It seems like the problem with that is they've got some problems on the offensive line. Are you saying I quit? A starter? Yes, he's so this is interesting. He Justin Murphy was at Texas Tech. They medically disqualified him a couple years ago. He sat out a year, then was at UCLA. He played for UCLA last year against UC as a grad transfer, then grad transferred again to Houston. Started the first four games. Uh, at right tackle and right guard. Not both and simultaneously. Then, no, that would have been impressive. <laughs> uh, I guess hurt his knee at some point, did not play against North Texas, and now, and he had had, obviously, he had injuries if Texas Tech medically disqualified him. <laughs> but, so he is out. Their center, who was a preseason Athlon fourth team all conference player, was hurt, did not play against North Texas, and is now out for the year. So against North Texas, the starting center, that was his first ever start. Their right ta- their right tackle, Jared Williams, I don't think played against North Texas, but is probably back this week. What I'm trying to say is there's a lot of new guys in new spots on their offensive line. And... They won the North Texas game kind of convincingly, but looking back on it, they had a kickoff return and a punt return for a touchdown. Which is something you still have to pay attention to. They've got they've got some speed guys. They've got a couple good running backs. They've got one really good wide receiver. But with Keith Corbin redshirting like the Eric King, their next leading receiver after uh, Marquis Stevenson doesn't even have 100 yards on the year. That's Courtney Lark. And like I said, I don't think they're going to be – I don't see them as a big passing team anyway. Defensively – 
that's where this thing gets difficult for them because if you're going to line up and just try to run right at the Cincinnati defense without a whole lot of threat of the pass, you're in trouble. Like that ain't that ain't that, that's not a, a plan to to attack what this Cincinnati defense likes to do. Right. I mean, the quarterback had I want to say 99 or 100 yards, had a big one like a 38-yard run against North Texas, but again, North Texas' defense is 80th in the country, S&P plus. Um, UC's is 30th and just held UCF to 27 points. It's not going to be the same looks. Right. Um, and if, if, you're, you know, if you've got one receiver, I'm pretty sure they can figure out a way to, to limit him unless they just force the ball to him like UCF did, but that doesn't seem like their their MO. I mean, the, the score, the, it was the highest scoring game against North Texas, and they still only threw the ball 20 times. So, unless they just all of a sudden junk that and try to throw against UC, I just don't see it. Um, but defensively, they've got a couple, couple impact guys that can get to the quarterback, but their secondaries, oh boy, it was wildly inexperienced coming into the year. Their leading returning tackler, guess how many tackles he had in 2018? 60. Three. Wow. Of their, of, their whole defense, of their whole defensive backfield. That seems bad considering, yeah, considering how many guys run free in that defensive backfield. Yeah, he's out for the year. So, you know, one of their safeties got hurt in the North Texas game, so I'm not sure if he, we're not sure if he's playing. Dana Holgerson doesn't really comment on injuries at all, like you see doesn't unless the guy's out for the year. Yeah. They had they had three linebackers that were out for the North Texas game, so maybe they come back, maybe they don't. This one corner was out for the year, and another one is likely out because he's still coming back from an injury that he sustained earlier in the season or in fall camp. So I'm kind of feeling like this, maybe not to the extent of the Marshall game, but there's just a lot of ways that UC's offense can can exploit them. That you know, If you take away North Texas and Prairie View, they haven't held anybody under 31, I think it was. And I just, with the way you see, and the UC's defense is by far the best defense they've played all year, and that includes Oklahoma. Yeah. When they had when they had came, and that, that right there is just kind of, it's, a, it's a, just a huge deal. I mean, he's the player of the year in the conference. Yeah, pretty pretty much and, by far the best offensive player in the conference. And you take away him, and you take away their number two wide receiver. Like they're just a totally different offense now. And an offense that is facing a Cincinnati defense that is feeling itself. Oh, for sure. And like it's just hard for me to envision them running the ball. You know, of course you could have a wild game and you could turn it over five times and. And who knows what, but 
the way they're playing, the way they've played the last two weeks as a whole, it just it's it's tough for me to see a way this game is really in doubt. I have a tough question for you. Okay. What happens if you feel like Darius Harper might actually be the answer at left tackle? Then you play Darius Harper at left tackle. You move Mets back to the or, or uh, Ferg back to the right when he's healthy. I would. You leave I, mean, Mets there? I mean, I would play whoever you felt is best at right tackle. Then I mean, this is big boy football. We're trying to win a conference championship. Guys get hurt all the time. Other guys step up. Like you play the best players. You wouldn't play a worse player in another position. I mean, it's a tough spot, though. It's offensive line. It's one of your team leaders. Like, that's a that's a that's a difficult decision for a coach to make. I don't. I didn't say it wasn't difficult. I just if you watch the tape and you're like Darius Harper is better at left tackle than Chris Ferguson, then you play Darius Harper. Maybe he's on a shorter leash because yeah. he's got one. One tape of game, one game of tape. But if your five best guys are third back at the right side with with Mojo, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's fair. I was just curious as, as to your opinion on it. Yeah, I mean we're not like. Here's one I thing. I, here's one thing I can assure you. When they went over that tape of Friday night. I bet Chris Ferguson's ankle started to feel a whole lot better. Of course it did. (laughs) Any, any, any real competitor, it should like, we just won this game against this team that nobody beat. And my replacement had a pretty darn good game. Ryan had a, had a pretty darn good game for the most part. Yeah. Um, so, I better get my, you know what, together and get out on that field if I want my spot. It sounds like Ferg was back at practice on Tuesday, from what I've heard. Um, but running with the second team. You're going to have to earn your way back up the food chain, which is how they, they've done it with pretty much everybody. If you're out, if you miss time, somebody else steps in, you got to work your way back up which I think is fair. Would you agree? I would. I mean, unless it's Mike Warren or pretty much just Mike Warren. We'll just stop there. Um, well, here's, here's the thing. It's like that, that equity is earned for somebody like Mike. You, Warren. you treat everybody fair. You don't treat everybody the same. Right. I, I think it's an interesting decision. And not that I think Ferg has been bad. But I still wonder. I think his best side is the right side. I do, too. I think he is more of a power offensive lineman than a, and I don't want to say finesse, but that's the only space. word that comes speed. to mind. Because the guy not, that handles space and speed from, from edge right. rushers. Like, I think they run the ball better to the right side when him and 
Mojo are over on the right side when they can get it because he's athletic enough. He can get out in front and and block. And you know, I always remember the South Florida game last year when he was way out on Mike's yeah. long run down the sideline. I just and most defensive put, defenses put their best pass rusher at right defensive end, and I think Harper's length and probably a little bit more quickness is more beneficial at that spot. It's it's going to be interesting as that that the weeks pile on and that and that's 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 something that they continue to get a look at. If I, I somebody asked me this today, who are the starting tackles by the time we get to say Temple for Senior Day or Memphis for the final game of the regular season? Who's starting a left tackle? Who's starting a right tackle? I think. Well, I I think that question is not answerable until this week. Okay. What if he's not healthy enough to come back this week? Well, then, and and Darius Harper plays well again. Then I think your your question's answered. Then. Okay. I mean, because one week, for all we know, he is healthy, and they just put him right back in at left tackle and go back to exactly what they were doing before. Right. But if they don't this week, then I think that's more telling. For down the down the line. All right, fair enough. Just something, an interesting conversation that was had today, uh, just based on on how well I thought Harper played. I thought it, it, it was one of those games where you got a first time starter, and ultimately you didn't notice him. They, I don't believe they had a false start the entire game from the offensive line. I don't think um, they had a hold the entire game from the offensive no, line. No, McConnell had a hold and a, and a personal foul. Hit a hands to BS hands to the face, wasn't it? No, it was like no. They um, who had the hand? I think he had like a illegal block or something. I don't know. I don't remember. I was. All right. I had several soda pops, but um, you had several gavel bangers. Yes. Yeah. But I, I know there was the one hold and one other still offensive line penalty. But still, right, exactly. Pretty good. And what was the issue? What was the issue at the beginning of the season? There were three, four, five false starts, several holds. You know, it was it was a clear, uh, clear improvement the yes. last two weeks for sure. They really practiced their no penalty plays. <laughs> All right, let's get to it, Dave. The Trace Pountas score prediction brought to you by Trace Pountas Coffee. Fresh roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans has the roast date clearly printed on it so you know your coffee is fresh. Where does it come from? The beans come from the Race Family Farm located near the town of Trace Pountas, Brazil. They offer beans in four roast profiles, light, medium, dark, and French roast. And they ship the coffee in either whole bean or pre-ground packages, 12-ounce packages. Or now you have the opportunity also to get K-Cups. Where can you find out more? 
It's easy. You go to the website, www.tracepountas.com slash coffee, T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee. And then what you do, this is the key part. This is the important part, Dave. You sign up for a subscription to get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one, two, or four weeks, your choice. And then when you go to checkout, you enter Bearcats at checkout. And when you do that, you save 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some of the best coffee money can buy from our great friends at Trace Pountas. Dave, Bearcats Cougars, 3.30 Saturday. I will be at Taft's Bruporium. You will be at home with Little Simone. What do you got? Well, you know, this is a big game for you and I. Why is that? Because in our preseason predictions, I predicted a win and you predicted a loss. Well, that was before the De'Ara King thing. Like, I think I, I get a little bit of a pass on that. <laughs> I know. I'm, I know. I, I'm just saying, like, I can still have possible perfect records. You can pick- too if the wrong yeah. team wins. We both did pick that they'd beat Central Florida in the preseason, didn't we? We did. So well, I, 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 I'm, I'm asking for a waiver <laughs> on this game. Then. Trade, trade for a waiver? Yeah, I, I, want, has, I want a waiver that on hasn't this game. Gone in, that hasn't gone in UC's favor for, for football lately, so. Well, I mean, it did with a couple of guys. There were a couple yeah. wins. Chris Vote got eligible. Yeah. He did. We'll get. I'm sure we'll, we got to talk a little midnight madness. A little bit, yeah. So let's speed this up. But uh, but like we kind of talked about. I mean, without Derek King and the way you see his playing, it, it's I mean, it's hard for me to see them not going down there and winning. Um, you know, you still never know with road games, but. Some, some shifting on the offensive line, a defense that just isn't very good overall. And without your the league's best player, it just shapes up for a UC win. I'm going to say Bearcats. I'm going to say Bearcats 35, Cougars 20. You're almost exactly exactly where I'm at. I, I, I've got UC 34-21. So, I just can't imagine this team coming out flat after the way that the season had gone to this point. Now you've played two games well in a row. You are now becoming an experienced team. I think that is the next step for this program to go from being young to being experienced. And you do that by going to Houston and beating a team that, that you are better than, right? Yeah, and I just I just don't see a team that is so bought in to what Luke and those coaches are doing that they would come out flat regardless. Like, right. Like, getting your doors blown off at Ohio State, they didn't come out flat. I mean, it was 7 nothing. In the first quarter, 
They just got beat by a really good team, and they played bad. Right. I mean, maybe they came out a little flat against Miami, but, like, that didn't last long. And I, I just don't see that happening in a, in a conference game like this when you've just had that win and you've seized control. You're not just going to you, – you would hope you don't just give it right back. All right, well, we'll do a little bit of basketball here. First, let me just say, um, trust me when I say I am upset as everyone that Berg, unfortunately, is not going to be with us this basketball season. Uh, life just gets in the way sometimes. And Berg, with his his lawn care business uh, really taking off, and his little one and his new marriage, and basically what, what we talked about is he just didn't want to put me in position where three, four weeks into the season he's canceling on games and, and not able to live up to, uh, to his obligation. And unfortunately, Berg will not be with us this basketball season. I, I told him the door is always open for him to come back. I freaking love that guy. Um, like a little brother to me. And it was it, it was difficult. We we had a it was a it was a tough conversation to have between the two of us. Um, he was upset. I was upset. But got to respect the man and and what he feels is best for his family at this time. I told him because see here's the thing with Berg. When he gets a thought in his brain, the only way he can get it out is to write about it. So I told him when that happens. Write the article, send it to me, we'll publish it, and uh, you can still have your impact throughout this season without being the beat guy. Uh, what it means for Bearcat Journal, uh, poor Brent. I feel sorry for Brent. <laughs> when he came in, he said, whatever you got, I'm in. And then Shane left, and then Austin Gale blew up at PFF, uh, and he didn't have time in his schedule to help with things because he's traveling all over the country. And, uh, and doing a great job for PFF with their coverage. And then Berg isn't coming back. And I've dumped all three of those things on Brent's lap. So <laughs> you'll, you'll be hearing Brent on this podcast uh, in place of Berg as we go forward. I think what we'll do for basketball is, uh, is I'll have Brent cover the, the, the pregame stuff, the previews. I'll handle the postgame stuff. And going to press conferences and uh, keeping in touch with all the things that are happening around the program. Uh, but I've added more to Brent's plate, and we're gonna we're gonna figure it out from there. Um, but I hate that it happened that way, and that, unfortunately, this is what I've talked about is the hardest part when you are not a site that is the size of Ohio State and 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 some of the you know North Carolina and. Alabama and all those guys that have a place on their uh, their staff for three, four, five full-time guys. I know Dave would love for us to be that size because he'd love to, to do this full-time. Um, mm -hmm. I'd love to have him full-time and Berg full-time and Brent full-time, and it would solve a lot of problems, but unfortunately that's, uh, that's not where we're at. So I just wanted to touch on that real quick, just let you guys know, trust me, uh, it is it, – it, 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 hurts me probably more than it hurts any of you guys just because Berg and I had become such close friends and uh, not having him around this basketball season uh, is not fun for me. But 
he's got to do what's best for him, and uh, it sucks. But that's the game. You got to keep it moving. The uh, the show goes on, Dave. Uh, Midnight Madness, you did not get to make it, but you did, I assume, watch everything. Yeah, I, I checked in. I was up plenty late <laughs> that, that morning. So I went to bed at 5.30. Yeah, I was night. following along. Um, overall takeaways, uh, I think Javon Cumberland's going to be really good. That's my first overall takeaway. I know he didn't do a whole lot in the scrimmage, but you just get a sense for when somebody knows how to play, when somebody has a good, a good feel for the game, where to be, when to be there, and more importantly, how to uh, put the round thing in the slightly larger round thing uh, 10 feet off the ground. And he can do that from long distances. And I think that is a good thing. And I, I think he's going to be very good. I like what I saw from Chris McNeil in terms of running the show. I uh, saw some good things from Mike Adam Wood, Adams Woods uh, running the other team. I thought Mamadou looked solid. Uh, I think you, you got what you expect from Trey and Keith Williams, Trey Scott and Keith Williams. Um, the, the numbers, you know, unfortunately right now, not working in their favor with uh, with Jaron Cumberland out with uh, the, a minor procedure on his foot. Not sure when he should be back, but I expect him to be out there when when things go live. Uh, when the bullets are real, I expect Jaron Cumberland to be on the floor. Um, it looks like it's going to be about six weeks for Trevor Moore and sometime in December uh, for Jeremiah Davenport who had knee surgery uh, back in the early portion of the summer. And then I don't think it looks good on Prince, but that that's far above my pay grade in terms of uh, what they're doing to uh, to make sure his health is, uh, is where it needs to be. Um, those are my thoughts. Dave, how about yours? I'm just, you know, same thing. I'm, I'm just excited to see, you know, what, what the – flow looks like i mean we've just been really talked about it and we'll, i'm sure you guys will get into it more with the season starting and everything but just we've just been in a certain type of play has been ingrained in our heads for a long time and it's going to be different and i think it's go, like it's not just different for the fans it's a lot different for the players too and i think there needs to probably be a little level of understanding and maybe a little level of patience when it when it comes to to that. Um, I mean, granted, you just we're, ask for sports fans to be patient. Come on, I I did get it together. And I, There's I, no way I know that's, that's going to happen. I know that's ridiculous, but I mean, do you think it's going to be like some seamless transition where it looks like everybody's been? Running this thing for three years? No, it never is. Well, so there's probably going to be some bumps. They just need to be the right bumps, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> going to have to figure out how to, a way to win some games in November and December. Yeah. I mean. That's the trick. I think you got a tough non-conference schedule, and we know who's who's formidable and who's not in the league. And, you know, we're going to be looked at as, okay, 
It's the new style. We can get these guys. They tried to get us every year. Couldn't do couldn't do it the last few. So you know, media it's just day, gonna be media, media day is Monday. Where do you think they'll be picked in the conference? I don't even know who's worth a darn. I'm so focused on football right now, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess third. I'm gonna I'm gonna say probably second or third. Um I think you're gonna have Houston pick to win the conference. Memphis pick really? second. Think so? Yeah, I do. My it, understanding it is won't. it's very likely Quentin Grimes is gonna get a waiver. That's true. That's true. If Quentin Grimes gets a waiver, they're the best team in the conference again preseason, I think. Yeah. Matt, I mean, Penny said Memphis is going to win the national championship, so we should just pick them one. Probably, yeah. Um, um, I don't think the coaches are going to do that. <laughs> probably not, because, yeah. So, Samson, yeah, I mean, I Samson say... has the pedigree. He has the culture. He has that program on stable ground. He's got a lot of – yeah, he lost some important pieces. He's still got a lot of guys coming back. Thinking in the mind of a coach, I think Houston is picked to win. Memphis is picked second. Cincinnati is picked third. Um, yeah, that makes the most sense to me because I don't even know who – I mean, is South Florida for? South Florida is going to be good. I think Wichita State is going to be very good again. I think they're going to bounce back. I've heard some really good things about about Aaron McKee and what's going on at Temple uh, in the offseason. Um, I think UConn has a chance to be very strong. Uh, I know it's easy to forget that, that they're not in the conference, or they're still in the conference this year. That, uh, the top of this league is going to be pretty tough. It's going to be pretty tough. Yeah, I think I mean, UCF I think falls the... off a cliff. Yeah, they're terrible. Um, I think if things break right with other leagues, it could be a five-bid league this year. Yeah, I mean, it, that's up to, as has been the case, that is up to what some of these teams are able to do in the non-conference. Because right. that's where this league has been brutal. This league has been brutal in the non-conference outside of a couple teams every year and you don't do yourself any favors in this league. If you're not winning games out of conference. So yeah, cause the, the committee sure doesn't really like the conference when they play each other. We'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the problem is nobody wins out of conference. So that's why you open the door for the committee to crap. Right. on you. If you don't oh. go out and win those games, you open the door and allow them to crap on you. Exactly. And, and they've done exactly that. So we'll have a lot more as we, as we get closer. Um, media day, like I said, is Monday. I'm sure Dave will be all over that from work. Where, where is media day this year? Philly. Philly. Okay. Philly. Who's our representative? I think it'll probably be Trey and Jaron. If I had to guess. I can't wait for the Jaron interviews. He was good last year. They took him last year, and he was fine. <laughs> he can he can play it up when he needs to. He just hates doing it. Right. Um. But all right, man. Well, we went we went over. So 
It is what it is. Yeah, we, had, for every... we had a lot to talk about tonight. We did have a lot to talk about. I mean, you get you a win have, like you that. Have to give... Right. Oh, I forgot to say this. Here's why that one feels different. The, the Central Florida win. That's the signature win that marks the Luke Fickle era. Oh, like for, 100%. For me, the Brian Kelly era, when I think back to that, like, where did it start? I think of one game and one game only. Oregon State at Nippert on a Thursday night. I think that was the... It didn't end up being his signature win, but I think that ended up being the win that signaled, like, we're coming. And and this UCF team is a lot better than that Oregon State team, but I think that's the win for Luke Fickle. When we look back, we're going to talk about the night that they beat Central Florida in Nippert on a Friday night on ESPN as the defining stamp that the Luke Fickle era is very, very real. Oh, yeah, for sure. So that's all I got. Even if you've got more, I'm not letting you say it because we're over the time limit. We have exceeded the time limit. So, I'm all set. All right. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next week. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.